Welcome to the SPE Podcast, powered by the Society of Petroleum Engineers. You're listening to SPE Live, natural language processing in the subsurface and wells disciplines. The audio from this episode was previously recorded on April 26, 2023. And now your moderator, Claude Boudois. Hello and uh, welcome to this uh, edition of SPE Live on the topic of natural language processing in the subsurface and wells discipline. My name is Claude Baudouin. I am an independent consultant in uh, information technology and knowledge management based near San Francisco. And I'm a member of the SPE Data Science and Engineering Analytics Technical Section, the SEATS, and I will be the moderator today. Uh, this uh, SPE live session will last uh, 30 minutes and we can uh, take your questions mostly at the end, but feel free to ask questions anytime during the program. If they're clarification questions, we'll try to answer them uh, immediately. When the new DSCA technical section was created last year by merging two other sections, we started planning a newsletter series. And the first of those appeared on December 1st, 2022, their quarterly. The first article of substance in that inaugural issue in December was written by Paul Cleverly. So he had the privilege of being our first author. And he wrote this uh, article whose title was Natural Language Processing in the Subsurface and Wells Disciplines. Um, this article was really a very elaborate 13 page paper with figures and references on this topic of how you can use natural language processing uh, to improve uh, a lot of the work that's being done in the oil and gas industry. So naturally, we wanted to feature Paul in one of these SPE lives and dig deeper into his knowledge of how this particular aspect of artificial intelligence applies to oil and gas. And that's what we aim to do today. So it's now my pleasure uh, to introduce to you our guest, Dr. Paul Cleverly is a geoscientist and a computer scientist by background. He has worked for numerous companies in the IT and energy sectors uh, for the past 30 years. He's based in Oxford in the United Kingdom. He founded a disruptive tech startup, InfoScience Technologies Limited, in 2018, pioneering uh, the use of natural language processing algorithms for the subsurface and geo-resource sectors. He also has several unpaid roles, including serving as visiting professor of information science and university at RGU, Robert Gordon University in Aberdeen in Scotland. Dr. Cleverly, welcome to this SPE Live. Thank you, Claude. And good morning, afternoon, everybody. So I, I would like to start with basically a background uh, explanation on your part, because some people may not be familiar with, um, you know, the uh, definition or the scope of natural language processing and why it seems to have recently gained so much popularity. Can you please start with that? Sure. Um, well, natural language processing or, or NLP for short, it's a, a branch of artificial intelligence concerned with how computers understand human language through voice or, or the written word. I like to think it's the, the process of turning unstructured information into structured information. You can think of NLP as, as mainly split into two really. One is statistics, so word patterns learned from text. Uh, and secondly, methods based on linguistics, so rules, 
representations of knowledge like taxonomies. And many real world business problems often require both uh, of these techniques to be used and value is often at the interfaces between many different techniques and some of which uh, we'll discuss today. I mean, we all use NLP, we use our email, uh, if we perform a Google searches, we talk to our conversational assistants like Alexa. NLP is, is, is almost omnipresent in a lot of things that we do in the, in the digital world. It's trying to understand the intent uh, of, of, of what uh, a person is, is asking. There's natural language understanding, which is very much about understanding that intent, whether you type in something to Google or you ask Alexa. There's natural language generation. We've heard a lot about things like chat GPT, uh, models that sort of generate uh, new new text, um, which you may have seen if you've ever played AI Dungeon, which is a text adventure game, again, with a, uh, a model like that behind it. From, from an organizational oil and gas point of view, I think there's been a growing realization for companies that there are insights locked in their uh, unstructured text on the file systems in their archives, uh, which are not in structured databases. There's too much for us to, to read ourselves. We, we need machines to, to try and help us to automate tasks, extract data, summarize information for us, and also detect uh, patterns and uh, anomalies. And if you combine this with recent advances in uh, compute power, uh, algorithms, open source algorithms, um, some of the deep learning uh, uh, models that you see, uh, there are things, I mean, when I was asked to write the article for SP Chat, Chat GPT, hadn't even been launched. So, I mean, there are things in NLP that you can do uh, today that you couldn't do last month, that you can do last year. It's a very fast moving uh, uh, pace, Claude. And so, based on that, you know, at what point and how did you come to appreciate the potential of this technology uh, in, in our domain and especially how it could be applied to subsurface data? Uh, yeah, good question. Uh, I, I did my PhD quite quite late in my career, back, back in 2013. I, I picked up Python uh, and uh, retaught myself programming. I'd, I'd done that when I was a bit younger. Uh, and I conducted interviews with geoscientists and engineers, uh, video observation experiments using stimulants and prototypes to really try and find what NLP techniques uh, people found valuable uh, for what tasks and, and why. Uh, one area that emerged really, which was perhaps poorly met, was exploratory search goals. So, you know, if we look at a traditional search engine, you get lists of results when you when you when you type uh, questions. Um, or if you want an answer, uh, such as chat, chat GPT, and it's great if you if you want a specific you know result. Um, but if you're sort of exploring, you know, what, what, asking questions like, you know, what's the reservoir quality like in, you know, in the Elysee Basin, there's not a right answer. Um, summaries you have to be very careful of because they might smooth out important outliers, and it could be, you know, that piece of information on page 20 of a PDF that appears 10 pages down in your search results, which actually turns out to be the most interesting uh, in amongst your results. But you'll never know that because you'll never read that far. Um, so you, you, we have to be careful a little bit with these algorithms, you know, because they become a bit of an epistemology. They're, they're, they're how, how we come to know things. They're, they curate what we see and therefore influence what we know. So we can counteract that with, with NLP to take us off the beaten path and, you know, find out some of these more uh, interesting or unusual things 
in amongst uh, the text as well as the obvious. So uh, following up on that, in, in the article you wrote, the paper you wrote for us in, in December, you went pretty quickly into a description of what's called transformer models, uh, which is another phrase that a lot of people are using casually today without necessarily explaining it. But um, people have heard a lot more about transformer models recently because of the, the all the news and the hype about ChatGPT. Um, so can you briefly explain what a transformer does and, and how it does it? Sure. Um, if you allow me just to go back a little bit to some, some of the, the sort of fundamentals. I mean, Firth, back in 1957, coined this wonderful phrase, you can find a word's meaning by the company it keeps. So words that occur together or in similar contexts tend to be more closely related. So we can build a probability distribution of words uh, as numerical vectors uh, using some of these philosophies. So in simple terms, we can create a word vector for any word that represents the words that occur in proximity uh, to that word from everyday training data, whether it's on uh, the internet or uh, our own company uh, data. And then we could take these vectors and, and, and do things like cosine similarity between them. And the, the closer they are, the more similar we can infer. So words like the internet and say the World Wide Web will have very close uh, cosine similarities, their vectors, because the words mentioned around those are very similar. Uh, so we can use this for uh, a range of things. I, I did a bit of a study on the Society of Petroleum Engineers papers itself, uh, 70,000 of them. Um, and if you take a word permeability, the, the most commonly occurring word to permeability in the SP is relative, because uh, next to it or within the same sentence. Um, but if you look at geological literature, like the Geological Society of London, um, it's porosity. Um, also, words like fracture, very associative with permeability in the SPE. Ge geological, not so. It's uh, more related to faults. So you've got these subtle elements, even within different disciplines and, and training data. But we can use these patterns to train a model, you know, to predict for almost any word, uh, what word follows it for a given context. And this is powerful, can be used for all sorts of things, uh, identifying analogs uh, for, for reservoir, uh, drilling ge geological purposes, for example, just from the, the patterns in text that may serve some analogs we hadn't uh, uh, considered casting a bit of a wider net, uh, perhaps than the, the normal. So if you fast forward all of this to the latest computer techniques, I like to think of it as just very complex word co-occurrence on massive amounts of text um, on the internet that we've all helped create. We're, we're now indirectly teaching these statistical models to create this probabilistic model uh, to create a relationship to some extent between between all words. So the transformer model um, uses mathematical techniques called uh, attention or termed attention, uh, first described by some of the Google Brain uh, researchers and essentially is a deep neural network. Uh, it learns context associating word with every other word uh, in the sentence. So you specifically an embedded vector containing positional information uh, is fed to an encoder, performs some algebraic functions. The decoder output is enriched embedded vectors. A couple of, uh, of, of things that this approach, that previous approaches haven't done, is it uses long-range dependency of works, words. So it's very, uh, it, it can predict how even quite distant uh, words relate to each other, has a, a, a significant context window. And these techniques also lend themselves to parallel processing. So you're seeing these models just getting bigger and bigger, um, using more and more uh, uh, training data. And then we can take these models 
fine tune them for downstream tasks, specifically for, say, summarization or for chatbots uh, for, or for translation um, uh, and so forth, and can be, can be very useful for uh, uh, businesses, as, as many, many have found out. So you, you, you mentioned in this explanation a couple of corpora of texts. You mentioned, of course, the 70,000 SP papers. You mentioned the British Geological Society um, corpus of papers. What are the, You mentioned in your article uh, abandonment report, lease abandonment reports as being a source of uh, rich information. I can also think of drilling reports. Are there other things you've been using in your work that... Um, give you, you know, the, the training data or the information you need to make the, the model work? Yeah, I think, I mean, you can use these models, you know, straight off the, the shelf and actually uh, that have been trained on the internet and apply them to, to company content. I mean, my NLP projects tend to typically use the office documents that companies have, PDF, Word, Excel, PowerPoint, they might be on their file systems or results of large scanning projects or document management systems in SharePoint, not necessarily just to build statistical models, use other techniques that, that we may, may, may come on to. I've done some some work with uh, with emails. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can you can do lots of things with this. Obviously, you can extract data. You can detect contradictions. It's always interesting when you find contradictions in text. What's the basis of the research method and literature review, which we which we do is in in uh, in uh, oil and gas as well, of course. Um, I mean, for example, did some extraction on well completion reports, uh, taking out things like propant uh, du volumes, duration, acid data, correlating that then with data outside of the unstructured corpus to calibrate, say, production, uh, and then come up with with improved completion design. So it's not just using just text; you can uh, also correlate. Um, and bring in uh, data uh, outside of that. Uh, probably also talking general, uh, uh, in general terms, I I've been using some of my algorithms I've sort of developed for things like uh, uh, geotagging, for example, that allow you to position uh, documents on a map, really uh, from, from scanning projects, millions of documents, bring in word sense disambiguation. So um, to, to take an example, you you've got uh, say a Zara, you come across a Zara, um, you know, it could be someone's name, uh, it could be a company, it could be a city. If it's a city, is it is it the city in Spain or Argentina? So when you're you're, you're trying to really pinpoint in a laser-like way um, the, these these elements, uh, word sense disambiguation is, is is a key part of, of, of NLP uh, for uh, any any word which is uh, polysemic. In other words, it has has more than uh, one meaning. So that when you have a large amount of text, that's all, uh, uh, a key element. And then that uh, hints that various forms of knowledge representation, including ontologies and taxonomies and glossaries, et cetera, become, um, be become really important. Um, and you've just, uh, I guess, explained uh, a question I was going to ask you, which is about the importance of these things. When we look at the geoscientist or the, um, the petroleum engineer who's trying to use one of these models uh, in order to derive new uh, inferences, let's say. How do you interact with such of, of these models? Is it the kind of stuff that we've seen in the press recently about chat GPT, where if you ask a silly question, you may get a stupid answer? Or is it a, um, you know, wh wh what's the process of actually 
uh, operating this model and making it give you some useful insight? Sure. I mean, there, there are very different different types of models. We we may we may come onto graphs, but um, yeah, I mean, Chat GPT is is a hot topic. Uh, I mean, you're going to have that real time sort of question answer uh, aspect that's going to be quite useful for for, for companies, uh, whether it's on uh, you know uh, operational uh, informational manuals, uh, a way for people to interact with information in a much more intuitive way, uh, perhaps than they've done in the past with pick lists or you know, SQL-like uh, uh, sort of statements. So I think there might be some targeted sort of subsurface-specific uh, mechanisms for this. We also, of course, interact with the products of things like transformer models. I mean, uh, if you've ever used Google or Bing, you, you're consuming the output from transformers. Um, if you want meaningful file titles, you know, things like look on a, a, a project and you've got things like final.pdf or one zero zero four five dot pdf you know we can generate meaningful meaningful titles so th th there are there are sort of a direct interaction with the model but then also uh, the products we're probably also moving to more natural uh, natural language type querying of structured databases and tables as well and graphs which is much which is very exciting because at the moment interacting with you know some of these things can be can be uh, you know a little, little bit uh, uh, cumbersome and not not pretend tremendously exciting. Information visualization is another way, I think, to cope with all of this information. Uh, I spent quite a bit of time on this, you know, stacking up all of the mentions of, uh, of, a, of a concept of interest uh, in text, including the outliers, the edge cases, you know, looking at the, the, the sentiment, like this, the potential source rocks, you know, by area in a geological age or um, drilling problems by formation. Um, the quality of casing that we can extract out uh, uh, from text is so spatially. So by clustering some of this this data, we might even, you know, come across some some interesting and, and overlooked trends. Um, for example, taking um, you know word vectors around bleaching, carbonate cements, clay minerals, iron precipitation, maybe clustering that, plotting that against vectors for different lithologies, we we could come up with potentially overlooked fluid flow uh, pathways uh, in a basin. So these little latent patterns hidden hidden in, you know, all of our text that, you know, could be could be knowledge in, in, in hiding in in plain sight. Yeah, and in your article, you did mention uh, that some of these techniques had allowed you to discover things you did not expect, right? Yeah, indeed. I mean, uh, I mean, we're talking about sort of, you know, uh, 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 graphs as, as an example. Um, you know, that you think of graph as 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 being of, sort of nodes and edges. So we can install, we can store uh, uh, interrelationships between events, you know, entities, concepts that don't necessarily explicitly exist. You know, graphs can be data driven. So unlike sort of relational database, the schema more or less reflects the NLP logic of you know, perhaps what your Python algorithms are, are extracting. And, and we've, you know, we're familiar with graphs and you know, page rank uh, in Google around, you know, each node is a web page and an edge is a link from one page to another. You know, Facebook, friend of a friend, um, you know, whose friend of a friend plays a guitar. We can do the same with um, geoscience and engineering. Um, you know, which wells in this area penetrated this formation with casting, these sorts of ty types of things. And applying to, to sort of, you know, geoscience and engineering discovery, we, we can take these mathematical graphs and, 
you know, in a way, there's a visual representation of of the the the, the, the geology and, and engineering linked to a, a reservoir or a play, uh, with the wells known to interact with that, and it, it might be much more fun to and useful to interact with that um, using a, a chat GPT type. Uh, interface to explore the different pathways and query that graph. So again, you know, another example of, of you know, taking different NLP approaches, you know, statistic and linguistic and, and, and putting them together for, uh, uh, for a potential uh, solution. In terms of, of, you know, finding new knowledge, I've got a, um, some examples. So I've, I've, you know, been doing, creating sort of knowledge graphs with, so my algorithms is an instance graph rather than a reference graph. So it's important to me how many times that edge between two concepts is detected within uh, within the text. We take a, a simple example. As one company found there was some lower Cretaceous source rock in an area that they weren't, uh, weren't aware of. And this is a very simple sort of technique, uh, this particular example of like the ABC technique. So in one document, there was a mention of high TUC uh, with a, a rather a lesser known lithostratigraphic unit. So um, the high TUC's concept A, the lithostrat unit's concept B. Then in another document, there, there was mention of this lithostrat unit concept B and in an age, which is concept C. Um, but in, in this quite large, uh, you know, several thousand documents, it was never stated that there was effectively a lower Cretaceous potential source rock, but you could infer that through the uh, uh, the ABC type rule. Uh, and these techniques have been around for quite a while. Um, there, there's a, a nice study where uh, links between Reynolds disease uh, and fish oil, uh, and also a magnesium deficiency and migraines uh, was actually predicted uh, in, in a same ABC type technique uh, literature-based discoveries is one one way to call it, uh, and and these these were never explicitly stated, but the knowledge was was there, um, latent within the text, almost again hiding in in plain sight, uh, and they were later proved empirically, uh, and there's many other examples that if we put all our text together, um, there's the potential for new uh, business and and scientific uh, discoveries uh, if we if we know how to look. So that's the um, that's a grand challenge, and that's the, the the grand benefit you can get from this. Let's in the few minutes that are left, let's let's talk now about what people and companies should do concretely to to benefit from this. So uh, one question is is what should an oil and gas company do uh, in order to to discover new important information from the mass of textual data? Uh, and documents they hold. Um, another part of the question is, what should an oil and gas professional learn? What are the courses and resources, et cetera, they need to go? And then we have an audience question, which is the biggest challenge for a PhD student is data. Can you please explain where we can get subsurface data? So um, can, you, can you address, you know, these three aspects, you know, the learning, access to the data, and what a company should do uh, in, in whichever order you want? Right, okay. Uh, yeah, a memory challenge. Um, I think, you know, for some companies, it's, it's making sure you've got like a, a text lake of, of um, your unstructured text NLP ready. So you can apply as many algorithms as many times to it uh, as you like. So remove any barriers to uh, iterations. I think, you know, one thing that that I, I sometimes 
observe is you know it's quite difficult to, to the, the the more iterations that you can do the the better the result you'll get so you want to try and and, and remove barriers uh, to that and think of um uh you know having a, a an environment where you know you might have a traditional search index which is document focused uh you might second you might have a statistical language model which is corpus focused and and thirdly you may have uh, a knowledge graph which is more concept focus and you put those three together uh, and they support a whole variety of how you might interrogate uh, information. I, I also think, you know, maybe slightly controversial, but data scientists really have no idea whether the output from an NLP project is valuable to the business. So the challenge is to bring in those geoscientists, engineers, commercial analysts, managers, uh, uh, and other you know, business people to be as close to this environment and get that iteration going, the time uh, invested to it. If it becomes a bit of a batch process, then you're likely to get, you know, quite quite suboptimal uh, approaches. And I will also say, you know, we, we I mean, Agile is supposed to encourage this, but, you know, we, we shouldn't frame projects to an inch of their life. Um, you know, we, 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 we never, we, sometimes we're, we're afraid to admit it, but a lot of the best discoveries are somewhat accidental or unexpected. So, you know, we just need to experiment um, and go in with some loose framing and then, you know, see what emerges. And, you know, quite often what you end up finding and what's valuable is quite different to to what you uh, you started with. Um, I mean, in terms of training, people learn in different ways. I bought a bunch of Python books and I never opened them because there's so much of information on the uh, available on the Internet. My, my style of learning is learn by doing. So, you know, write something that doesn't work, find out why it doesn't work and learn that way. Other people have, have sort of different styles, but there is a, a host of online. Um, uh, I wouldn't necessarily recommend any particular one. I think there's a lot of good uh, courses if you if you do some searches uh, uh, for that. I'm trying to think, what, I, what else, Claude, have I, have I not answered? So, so how does a PhD student who's doing some research, how does he get the data or how does she get the data? Well, there's been a lot of uh, uh, public data put into the public domain. Uh, the Volve data set uh, in Norway, for example, contains both data and documents. is an excellent example of you know, lots of well files and, and information. Increasingly, national data repositories uh, are actually making the, uh, the information in sort of the government's licensing rounds uh, sort of available. There are you know, public sources, geological surveys are are making their information available. It is a bit challenging in the oil and gas compared to, say, the medical sector, where you've got PubMed, where a lot of the medical literature is sponsored by government, so it's all released into public domain. And there is still quite a lot of, you know, geoscience and engineering information behind sort of paid, paid firewalls. Uh, but there's, there's there's still quite a bit, you know, out there, uh, uh, public sets. If you dig around, uh, and if anyone. I can send some references after uh, people feel free to contact me to, 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 you know, to get yourself going. So we, we've got a, several other questions that have come in and we're not going to have time to, to, to take all the questions. So I think uh, we can certainly look at, uh, at uh, channeling this, uh, this, this dialogue farther. There's a question about the potential for transfer learning. Uh, there's one about training bias and how we mitigate the training bias, especially in the oil and gas domain. Uh, and um, 
and and there's a question about the, the quality of data, of course, which is a prevalent thing. So we're going to have uh, to sort of move on to, to the conclusion very, very quickly. But I just rattled off uh, several topics. Do you have a, a quick comment on those, Paul? Yeah, I mean, sometimes you've got what you've got. So if you've got scanned documents, then you need to adapt your NLP to cope with uh, the fact there'll be a lot of, you know, a lot of mistakes in in, uh, uh, in the text. I think, uh, you know, things like language models, statistical models, they're a, they're, they're a breakthrough. They are a big uh, uh, piece uh, in the puzzle, but they're not the whole jigsaw. Um, and they don't work in a lot of different contexts. So, you know, don't go in, oh, I must use this method to, to, to address these particular problems. You know, think, think I would su suggest think, think quite broadly. A bias is, is obviously intrinsic in almost everything we do. We can actually use NLP to help us with bias. We can look at all our proposals and plans and maybe the, the sentiment in those and then compare them with what actually happened uh, and reveal, you know, systemic biases in, in the way our organizational maybe thinks. So uh, I think as long as you're aware, that's the first step to to catering with uh, uh, with with any bias. But your training set has to be as close as possible to the information that you're going to apply it to, and that's obviously something to bear in mind if you know you've got uh, models based on movie reviews or or internet content, and you're applying it to uh, you know very technical information. Having said that, I've used plenty of generic models, and they've performed you know pretty pretty good against some pretty messy. Uh, you know, drilling reports, for example. All right. So we could uh, certainly go on for probably another hour if uh, if we had the time. But unfortunately, we don't have the time. Do you have any final words of wisdom that you would like to leave us with? Uh, well, I, would, I don't know about words of wisdom, but I would say, you know, sometimes, you know, in amongst all this text, you know, to, to uh, see the meaningful, you have to uh, remove the obvious. Wow, that's profoundly philosophical. <laughs> Thank you. That was a great that was a great final statement. So that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for your insights. I think this was absolutely fascinating, and it's amazing that it, um, you know, you wrote that back in November, and then since then we've only been hearing about ChatGPT every day. So uh, it's clear that you're at the top of this uh, this trend and making it useful for our industry. I can only add a recommendation that uh, everyone go and read Paul's article, which was in the December 2022 issue, again, of the DSEA Technical Section newsletter. Uh, as a reminder, the title of uh, Paul's paper was Natural Language Processing in the Subsurface and Wells Disciplines. And it starts on page five of that issue after the sort of initial uh, preliminaries. Thank you for joining us today, Paul. And uh, thank you uh, for our audience for having joined us. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Claude. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the SPE Live podcast. For more content, visit the SPE Energy Stream, the industry's digital pulse at streaming.spe.org. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe and review. Join us next time on the SPE Live podcast.